0: Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this amazing time to fellowship, to um, study your word. We ask that you teach us. We ask that our minds are open to receive from you, and that at the end of this teaching, we understand your word more. We get to see you better from your word in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. All right, so let's get into the word today. Last week, we had Victoria help us take the journey through Romans chapter 6. And if you recall, Romans chapter 6 was beginning from Romans chapter 5. I've said it many times in Bible study. The original Bible was not um, divided into verses and chapters. That's something that happened many years later, right? So when it did that, a lot of divisions were created that were not necessary, but they were helpful to sort things out. Right. So for example, all right. Hi, yeah, Sherry, no problem. You don't need to speak. Just good to say, just good to see you and I'm trying to say hi to you here. Um, so let's let me share my screen real quick and let's see something. Remember in chapter five, we introduced the idea of we, we brought to a point the summary of everything Paul had been teaching, this marvelous truth of God's grace to forgive everyone who puts their trust in him, not by the works they do, but just by faith. So it says we've been declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God. So chapter five is just this beautiful exaltation of what God has done for us and how that that our suffering actually produces results of, of more faith and hope in God that what would bring the unbeliever down is what builds us up. That's so profound. And we learned that, all of that happened because of what Jesus did on the cross. That Jesus died for us while we're yet sinners. That shows, the, that shows us that he can do even more than we can think or imagine. If he could die for us while we're still not seeking him, how much more now that we belong to him, right? And we saw how in chapter 5, God united those who were are sinners and separated from him to himself through one man called Jesus. So all of us we see that we had a problem. The problem is Adam sinned and we're all children of Adam. None of us chose that. Right. I don't think anybody here chose who they would be born from, right? But the point is every creation under heaven, you know, human being. Okay, someone's asking, what does that statement mean? What will bring us, what would bring the unbeliever down, has the ability to bring us up. What that means. I'm talking about Romans chapter 5. This is a recap, okay? Um, Let me show you. Verse 3, Romans 5, 3. It says, not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. So affliction is a bad thing, but we know that in Christ, it can produce good things. Like what? Endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And that hope that it produces does not disappoint. It doesn't end things with us because it, sh- it really de- shows that God has poured out his love on our hearts by that same spirit that he gave to us. So that's what I mean. So the unbeliever might come to experience affliction and think that's the end for them. And it may not even produce anything great in their lives. But for the believer, because of the hope we have, because of the... um the work Jesus has done on our behalf. We can glory in tribulation. We can glory in affliction. So I hope that explains it. So that's what I meant by that statement. Then we go down, we see this conflict between, or this disparity between what the first Adam did and what the second Adam did. The first Adam was the first man that was created. I told you that Adam represents mankind, right? So. If for any reason, everything I'm saying is just flying over your head right now, it's a good way, it's a good um, call to go back and listen to some of our teachings on Mixelar. We've we've saved some of them in the showreel. So you can go back and listen to previous teachings, all right? But try to follow along if you can. Um, Adam did one very, very wrong thing. God told him not to eat of the fruits of that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He did. And because he did, sin came upon all that would be born from him. So here was the conclusion we got or we made from Romans 5. That through one man, that's Adam, all became sinners. So because you were born of Adam and you share his blood and his, in a sense, his human natural life, you also are condemned. You also have guilt on you you're also declared a sinner because Adam sinned, all were made sinners. That's what Romans chapter 5 teaches us. But then what God does is profound. God says, okay, the problem is that a man fell and brought about the, the death and, and the, the effect of sin on the earth. So God steps into this same humanity. That's the be- beautiful brilliance of God and he comes as a man in the person of Jesus. So we had the first Adam that brought about problems on the earth through in the lives of people. But then there's a second Adam, the man Christ Jesus, who obeyed God in contrast to Adam's disobedience. And because he did the opposite of what Adam did, we get to benefit from what this new Adam did by faith in him. So to summarize again, Adam fell, right? And because he fell, sin came upon all flesh. Let me show you how it is here. It says verse 12, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, that's verse 12, in this way, death spread to all men because all sinned. All right? But look at what it says next. It says, the gift... Is not like the trespass, meaning the gift of righteousness in Christ is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass or sin many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ? He's just saying what Adam did and that brought death to the world is not like what Jesus did in the sense that while what Adam did brought death and condemnation and destruction to human, to humanity, Jesus' sacrifice, his righteousness, his life, brought life to many. And when he says many, it means all that would believe in him. Naturally, we belong to Adam by birth, by lineage. But how do we belong to Christ? We answered this question two weeks ago. We belong to Christ how? By faith but it's not just by faith because it's by faith, but that's not just all that it is. Chapter six will explain to us in more detail what really happened, which is what we learned last week for those of us that were there. But I want to show you how that applies. So chapter six, verse one comes as a result of chapter five, verse 21. In verse 21, the question is, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the thing. Paul had just been teaching extensively that when sin abounds, there is much more grace. That's what he said in verse 20. The law came along to multiply the trespass. But when sin and where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So Paul anticipates a question. That if our sin actually allows the goodness of God to be seen more, if our sin actually allows more grace to be dispensed to us, like the more we sin, the more grace we have access to, it leads to a question. And I think it's a question any of us might ask, right? If if we can, if God has done all that is required to deal with sin, then can't we just continue to live in sin? Like, if sin, that's the question, right? If sin was so bad that God had to send Jesus to die on the cross now Jesus died on the cross for us and then this sin still exists in our lives and the more we sin the more God's grace is available that's actually what Paul is teaching that is the doctrine of of, of righteousness by faith it's like what you do wrong, what you receive because of what Adam did Jesus has given you an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness so that should make you ask yourself. So, I mean, that means I can live anyhow, right? That means I can just continue to live in sin, you know, because there will be much more grace. Well, Paul anticipates that question, which leads to Romans 6, verse 1. And he says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may multiply? That's a legitimate question, right? I mean, it's a question that anyone would ask. But what does Paul say in response he uses this negative word in the Greek that means God forbid. He says, absolutely not. But why? Why does he say absolutely not? He says, how can we who died to sin live in it? This is a huge revelation. So in Paul's theology, in his, in his explanation of what God has done, he tells you something about you that you should know. If you're listening to me now, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. There is something you need to know. And that's what you see here. Paul says, you are dead to sin. Wow. I mean, when, when it comes to the word of God, I want us to be humble enough to say whatever the word of God says is true. So you can look at your life and your life might look like it's not aligning with what you are seeing in the word. Well, give it time. That's the beauty of scripture. Just allow God's word to transform you over time. He says, how can we who died to, st- to sin still live in it? So Paul is saying, it Does, doesn't make sense for you to come to a conclusion that because sin, you know, when there's more sin, there is more grace, so I'll continue to live in sin. No, you are a, you are a new entity. You died to sin. That old man was destroyed. That's the, the doctrine Paul is trying to teach. And he tells us how that happened. And that the, the way it happened that we were changed, transformed, we had a life of sin, but now we belong to Christ. What is that thing called? Who can tell me? What is that thing that the, the, the theological word to describe what happened to us when we received Christ? Who wants to try? Anyone that's been following us for a while can try. What is that spiritual thing that has happened that has taken you, who were a sinner, but you put your faith in Christ, all of a sudden now you belong to Christ and you have a new life? What is that thing called? What is that process? Okay, beautiful. Baptism. Baptism. That's correct. I want to, let me ask you, because we don't have enough time. I wanted to ask, but let me just explain. Let me just go ahead and explain. Because some people might be like, baptism, how is that the case? Why is it baptism? Well, if you're taking notes, take this down. Baptism is the the spiritual operation by which a person... Is translated to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's a spiritual operation that makes you beneficiaries of everything Christ has bought for you. So here's the here's the here's the principle: Jesus died for the sins of the world. Yes, absolutely. But not everyone is saved, not everyone on the on the earth that you look around today. You you know is saved, but did Jesus die for the sins of the world? He did, absolutely. Has he paid the fine? Has he absorbed the wrath of God? Has he been, you know, punished for us in our place? The chastisement of our peace was on him. Absolutely. But how do we become partakers of that? That thing is called baptism. So that's the definition of baptism. Baptism is not really when you put someone, it's not it's, it's not a spiritual term, all right in the sense that i can put a spoon inside a bowl of water and bring that spoon out and technically i have baptized that spoon so it's not it's a word that it's a greek word that means baptizo it's a normal word that means to immerse there's no spiritual connotation until we connect it to spiritual reality so for example john baptized with water so we can associate that to a spiritual thing that john was trying to do but I can also say, oh, I baptize, my bag in the bucket," and I literally mean the same thing. So context is what makes the difference. So you will see the word baptism in the Bible, and your first thought should not be water. What should come to your mind is immersion—to immerse something into something else. So let me explain why why I'm explaining why I'm saying all of this. Verse three, Romans six three, it says, "Or." Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So Paul is saying you should know that something has happened. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Meaning you, something happened supernaturally that brought you into, immersed you into Christ. And that by that immersion, you've also been immersed into his death. So here's the principle, and I want you to get it. By baptism, everything Jesus did, you have done, all right? This is a very important thing to understand because that's when you start to understand, oh, just because I don't feel a certain way doesn't mean it's not true. Because a lot of people find it difficult to connect the dots. They see the Bible tells them they are dead to sin, but their lives say otherwise. So you need to realize that just because something is supernatural or spiritual doesn't mean it's not real. You may not be able to see it physically or touch it tangibly, but if the Bible says it has happened and God says it has happened, then it has. It's in a realm that you cannot perceive with the natural mind, all right? It's spiritual. That which is spirit is spirit. That which is flesh is flesh, Jesus himself said, all right? So am I, am I are you still with me so far? I know we already did Romans 6 last week, but I'm trying to emphasize some things because it will help you understand where we are going in Romans 7. So if you are still here with me so far, let me see something in the chat to be sure that you're here or that you understood what I just said, that it made sense. All right, beautiful. Great, great, great. So, So here's the principle. You're baptized into Christ so everything that Jesus did, you have done. So, for example, Jesus died. Because Jesus died, by baptism, you've died. Jesus rose from the dead, so by baptism, you were raised also. This is this is big stuff. It was baptism that connected you to everything Jesus has done. Without baptism, you are not. And when I say without baptism, like I said, don't let your mind go immediately to being put in water. Now, water baptism is a symbol, all right, of this supernatural spiritual reality. So when someone is dipped into water and brought out, it's actually telling a story of what Jesus would do, which is he would die, meaning be buried in the ground, all right, and then he will be raised back to life. That's what water baptism signifies. But the true baptism is something God does by his own spirit. It's a spiritual operation. The moment you say, Lord, I receive the life of God. I receive salvation. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That moment, the Holy Spirit begins a work. That work is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, something God only can do. John baptized with water, but Jesus baptized with the Spirit. So when you believe on Jesus, he baptizes you into his Spirit. You become one with him. So because of all these realities, Paul is like, why would you still continue to live in sin? Because what has happened is you have died to sin and you've been raised up to the new, raised up to the newness of life. That's what he's saying. Verse four, therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death in order. That's just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father. We too say we too. That's the principle of baptism. So that we too may walk in the newness of life. Praise God. This is powerful stuff. And, um, I, you know, we we kept on going in Romans 6, and we saw that the old man was crucified with Christ because of baptism. Everything Jesus experienced, we've experienced. You may not feel any nails in your wrists or any thorns on your head, but by the principle, the spiritual principle of baptism, you have done all those things. God has already poured his wrath on you in principle, and you've been raised back to life. That's the beauty beauty of this principle of baptism, all right? So this is so important. That's why Paul is like, you are thinking too small if all you are saying is, shall we continue sin that grace may abound? No, that's not how to think. You are dead to sin. And then he tells us in verse 14 that because of all these things that happened, sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Meaning there's a new principle at work in you. The new believer is under grace, under the command of grace, under the power of grace. The law has no power over you anymore. What does that mean? L- the law brought about sin. When you were an unbeliever, when you didn't trust in Christ, sin was natural to you. You just wanted to sin and you d- you damned the consequences. But not you anymore in Christ. In Christ, a supernatural operation has happened. God has given you a heart of flesh. He has changed your heart that should grieve when you sin. Like none of us here has been perfectly, we've not been made perfect, sinless perfection yet. We haven't experienced that. That's going to happen when we receive our new bodies. Amen. But right now, there is something in you, and that's the work of the Spirit through baptism. There's something in you that is telling you that is wrong, but not only stopping, you, stopping there, but making you grieve over that thing, knowing that this is wrong and that this is not you that you are a new creation, that the old has truly passed away. Praise the name of Jesus. This is so, so, so important. And because of that, these are things to meditate on. So if you are that person who struggles with habitual sin, which is what, you know, Paul was referring to in Romans 6.1, shall we continue? Shall we keep on going on habitually in sin that grace may abound? And he says, God forbid, that is unthinkable. Why would you even think that you are dead to that and that you should not allow sin to rule in your mortal bodies? And why shouldn't you? Because if you do, here's what will happen. Verse 16. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. In other words, if you if everyone is a slave to something. I don't care how, how else you think about this, but this is the word of God to us. We are all slaves to something. It's either you are a slave to sin, you know, meaning that you are obeying everything sin commands you to do. There is no restraint. There is nothing. You just do what sin calls you to do. On the other hand, you are a slave of righteousness, meaning you are always making steps towards pleasing your master, which is righteousness. Who gets what I'm saying? You're never just without. You're a slave. <laughs> That's just what I'm trying to say. But choose the kind of slave you want to be. Some of you might find that offensive, but I I think it's so profound. Think about this statement. I I, I learned this back in 2014. In 2014, it, it, someone said, um, and I and I wrote it down on on Facebook back then. I said it is a great thing to be the slave of a perfect master. And I had a lot of people reach back and say, like, what do you mean by that? And that was a long time ago. I was reading a book and it made sense to me. Now, many of us don't like that word slave, but it might interest you to know that almost every apostle that wrote a letter wrote a slave of Jesus Christ. The Greek word is doulos. Paul, a servant, that's another word for slave, by the way. And maybe you guys don't realize, servant is demeaning. So in a sense, we are slaves of righteousness. And then we are also, just like Banker is saying, children of God. So these are dual realities. We serve God as our master, but we have a relationship with him as our Lord. Those two must not be separated. God is, is a king, all right? God is a king, and a king deserves worship, but that king is your father. And so because he's your father, he also wants you to have a relationship with him, love relationship with him. So you, the moment you let go of one, you are in legalism or you are in rebellion. So let me show you. Take out slavery, and all you have is I'm a child of God. Guess what? You will be that that child. Some of you know that child now. Maybe you were that child that just did anything you wanted to do. Oh, I, I mean, it's my father. Nothing will happen. I can do anything I want. And then you go ahead and live a life that is so rebellious and destructive. Or you can remove that childhood or sonship or being a child of God, and only stick to the slavery part. And what you have is, um, the, and all you have left is duty. I have to do this. Oh my God, Is my boss is going to finish me off. And that's what people have. So most people are on one extreme, either extreme, either they are in legalism. So it's like, oh my God, if I do this, God will kill me right now. And they live under the fear and trepidation that comes from knowing God is a perfect God. But then there's that other extreme of people who are unaware of their responsibility and all they think about is just the, mercy and grace of a father so let's let's try to uh, do you guys follow because i don't want to lose anyone these are two realities in scriptures you are a servant of god and you're also a child of god that's 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 biblical theology forget how you feel that's that's what the god god's word teaches you're a servant of god and maybe some people might find especially people who have had a bad experience with slavery or you know that would it may, may trigger, but I'm just going to use the word the Bible uses, you know. Um, that's the Bible's word. All right. I, I, I mean, look at this, look at the verses on the Bible, right? I'm not going to be apologetic for that. It says, You are a slave to that one you obey, so you can be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to righteousness, but being a slave to righteousness produces the best results. That's why I started by saying being a slave of a perfect master is the best thing that can happen to you. So picture it this way. let's say you have a boss at the office and this boss is always giving you too much work and he's just saying, do this, do this, do this. Why don't you submit this paper? And you're like, oh my, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I have to get this right. And then you keep having that kind of relationship with that boss. Now, the boss might be, what's it called? Um, The boss might be overbearing and asking you to do all those things and you don't like it. That is a... That, that is an imperfect master, all right? An imperfect master who wants you to be, uh, go out of your way to do things that are impossible for you to do. Meet this target, meet that target. He doesn't care about how you feel. Some of you know that kind of boss. Maybe you've had that kind of boss at work, all right? But, sorry, I'm getting the notification. Okay, I hope so. this is distracting. I'm so sorry, that was important. All right, so... I want to just get this point clear so that you guys don't misunderstand it. But it's very, I think it's core to the Christian faith because what you will find out is that you may end up running to either extreme and missing the beauty of Christianity. Christianity calls you to submission. It calls you to to let go of what you feel you like for something better, for a greater treasure. But it may not be how you want it. God calls you to let go of yourself so that you can experience true joy. And so imagine a perfect master that loves you perfectly, that gives you raises, that calls you higher, that wants to make you better. You would rather be a servant or a slave, right? I'm just using the term doulos, it's the same word in the Greek, all right? You'd rather be a servant of this kind of master because he is fair, he's just, he's kind, and he's faithful. The moment you lose sight of that, and all you are thinking about is just the term, that you've missed the beauty of this, um, I want to soften up here so that I make sure everyone is on the, on the same page. And if I need to expatiate or expatiate anything, I will do that. Let me see the chat real quick. Um, so some people don't like the word slave. I understand that. I struggled myself. But if let me let me tell you one thing from my heart, guys. This is Bible study. and the best gift I can give you is not my ideas, all right? I don't want to give you my ideas. If I'm giving you my ideas, there's no point of Bible Marathon. There's no point of this platform called What Dinner. Because, I mean, why, why do you need my ideas? What My ideas don't make, don't, they're not important. It's God's ideas that are important, right? So the only reason you are gathered here is not because of me. It's because of something higher than me. That's God's infallible word. So it's important that we try to understand it. And yes, struggle with it, but if it's clear and it makes sense, then we should just follow through with it. Um, I know that the idea of slavery has been, you know, one to run from because of the history of, especially with, with African American slavery, you know, the transatlantic slave trade and a lot of things that even happened in Nigeria you know, people giving us slaves, but you need to understand that even though that word or that thing has been used in a negative sense, the principle still applies. So what a slave was some years ago in Bible days is the equivalent of an employee today. So you have a boss that you are accountable to, that you have to meet targets to please. That's, that's the and, and the illusion I'm painting here, all right? So don't mix it up with someone gets flogging you with, you know, stuff and making you do things you're not supposed to do, all right? But let me see if people are getting the hang of what I'm saying so far. So uh, Florence is a little shaky, all right? Um, okay, I'm a son who serves. I think that's a beautiful way to see it. Um, that's a beautiful way to see it. Paul, a servant of the lord jesus christ peter is servant of the lord jesus christ called to be an apostle these people were people that were called by god and they they let go of their ambition peter let go of his fishing and began to fish for men that's what what does that look like that is the idea of servanthood you are leaving your own ambition to follow god's own ambition and that's what it means when you are saved by god he gives you not only his life and brings you into his family, but he gives you a task, all right, um, where his sheep is the shepherd, yeah, so Timothy says, that he says, he's our master who tells us what to do for our own good, right, um, okay, well, I like this interaction, I think it's important we have it, I'm not going to rush forward until I'm sure that everybody is following, let God's word, you know, hit you where it should, and I think the point I'm trying to make here is you are never, don't ever think you don't have a boss. The moment you think you don't have an authority over you or you don't have, like you just, you're born again to live the kind of life that you want, then you've missed the whole point of salvation. That's the point I'm making. So just because you were not saved by works doesn't mean you are not saved to work. I'll say that again. You were not saved by no. works right? You're not saved by your works. You were saved by grace, true faith, not by yourselves. It's the gift of God. You didn't have to do anything. But once you are saved, don't ever think for one moment that you are saved just for the sake of salvation. No, God saves you so you can be a workmanship made in Christ Jesus to do good works. God wants you to work. And those works are going to be works of faith. It's going to be works of faith. It will come from a heart willing to do all <laughs> that the master wants, all right. I have. I'm anchoring this platform as a response to that. I know God wants to see people saved and to grow in the knowledge of God. I could go. I could be living my life playing video games all day, you know, making money and not worrying about anything God else. God wants to do through my life, but that's not how to live. Submission to an to a to the authority that is perfect, which is God Almighty, is the best way to live. And you won't find it out which is the beauty of Christianity, you won't find it out from the outside. You have to get your hands dirty. Like you literally have to be doing the will of the Father, just like Jesus Christ. You have to be like, here I am, send me. I want to do the will of God. And it's when you are doing his work, you will start seeing those things that he has promised, right? That's the that's the, that's the beauty of Christianity. Have, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, you are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10 says you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You must do good works. All right, that's the point I'm making here. And I don't know why God took me in that direction or why we moved that way, but I hope it helps clarify some misconceptions. Um, God saves you for his purposes, and um, once in the, in the past, you were a slave to sin. Verse 17 says although you used to be slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted. So you were once a slave to sin, but you listened to the gospel, you heard it, and you believed it. So what happens after that? Baptism. You are now liberated from sin. You are now what? Look at the words the Bible uses. It's not me, it's not my Bible, it's not my, my own construction. It says, haven't been liberated from sin. You became what? Enslaved to righteousness. So beautiful banker is getting it. It's slavery transfer from the one that destroys you to the one that gives you life. But you are still a slave nonetheless. It's just that now you answer to a new life, not to the old life. You were dead to sin, but now you are alive to righteousness. That's 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 what God has done. And I think... It's a good thing to be a slave to righteousness. Imagine a life where all you could do was right. Just imagine it and desire it. Like a life that is sold out to the will of God. Like the controlling force in our lives is righteousness. We want to do what is right. We want to bless lives. We want to make people happy. We want to please our master. Before we were, you know, in that situation that Romans 7, which we will get to. And I like the fact that I'm taking my time to recap this. Um, I don't want to rush because it's so important to get the second part of the book of Romans. But we're going to see how Paul describes the struggle that a man who did not have this slavery to righteousness or being a part of Christ, the struggle that, 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 that that person encounters, because all he had was the law. When you have the law, you know what is right to do. You know that this law is perfect, but there's something within you that is not allowing you to do it. A baptism must occur. There must be a transform transformation from one kind of man to another kind of human. That's what the gospel does. That's what Jesus does. He takes us from what destroyed us, what brought death, to what brings life. All right? And so, you know, he says... For just as you offer the parts of your body and your slaves your, uh, yourselves as slaves to moral impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now, as a response, now because of what Christ has done, offer them as slaves to righteousness. Why? Because it will produce sanctification. This is the principle and I want to I want to drop this principle with to you um, it is um, what I call progressive sanctification it's the it's the idea that you want to be moving in the right direction daily all right the more you go with the flesh the more of the flesh you will see so some people have a response their response is well I've done this thing that is sinful and damning and very bad and so what they do instead of running back to God and moving towards the direction of righteousness and going back in that direction of, of, you know, trying to please God. They now stay in that place. And what that does is it just brings them further and further into more sinful activity. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This is not foreign to some people. The moment you do something wrong and you say, I can't pray. You allow guilt to to cloud your judgment. I can't pray again. I can't talk to God. In fact, I can't come for the next Bible Marathon meeting because I've done this very terrible thing. Guess what? You're just opening the door for more and more bad things to happen because it's a principle in the spirit. If you are a slave to sin, you will keep doing the things that sin tells you to do. But if you look towards righteousness and the path of um, sanctification, you will start seeing more and more of that. So don't think about don't, don't think it is far away or it is impossible to live a life that can be very close to perfection. But it has to do with what you do with what you do now. Sorry, that sounded very weird. But the point is, if you are in a place where you think God is upset with you, know that he's not. He has done so many things. But first of all, he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on your behalf, to take your punishment. That's, that's love. That's abundant love. But then don't stop there. Realize that you are there. You've done that wrong thing. But someone has paid. So then you should go in the right direction. Go in that direction to live consistently to please God. So don't stay in that rot, Don't stay in that sinful position of, you know, you should grieve. You should feel bad for what you've done because guess what? Your heart has changed. You're no longer that old person who was a slave of sin you know, but now you're a slave to righteousness. So when you do anything that's wrong, something should draw you back and say, no, it's, it's something my pastor calls gutsy guilt. All right, that's your response, gutsy guilt. I know I've done something wrong. I'm guilty about it, but I have got to approach the throne of God. I can come back to him. The direction to go when you sin is not away from God. It's towards God. Very, very important. And the Christian life is a journey of approaching God. That's really it because you will make mistakes you will be weak at moments you will need the grace of god and running from the grace of god is just very stupid it's like someone has paid all the debts that you ever owed in your school and then you stop going to school that <laughs> that's just that's just insane and absurd you want to keep going in the direction of god's favor and god's mercy and god's grace and so the differing factor here the difference is that you are not staying there? You're not taking the grace of God as an excuse to live anyhow. Rather, you're using that grace that He has provided for you to fight. To say, I'm done with this life now. I'm moving forward, all right. Praise the name of Jesus. And that's really it. Um, I think what I just did here was to show you, you know, what we've covered so far, refreshing our minds on what was taught last week. Um, And it's the concept of liberation. We've been liberated from sin. We're now enslaved to God. See the term there enslaved to God. So, anybody who feels you don't like this word, go fight with Paul, not me. (laughs) We're enslaved to God. All right. Other words that don't, other translations that don't use the word slaves, there will be some, but it's the Greek word that matters to us, don't you think? Like, what's the original word? The original word is doulos. What does doulos mean? Bond servant, slave. (laughs) So Paul wants us to have that imagery of we are submitted to the master's cause. We are not of our own anymore. We've signed a contract, a lifetime contract, that this is who we are serving. And so that's the terminology. So if you change it and substitute it with a word like servant or employee, you are still saying the same thing. All right. So someone said, can I repeat the previous statement? Um, who can help me? I don't know. I've said a lot of things already, Um, but we're rounding up now. This is the summary. Okay. Yeah. We, we've been liberated from sin and now we've been enslaved to God. So taking away from the slavery of sin, the bondage of sin, but not out of all kinds of slavery. We are brought into a new kind of slavery. It's a perfect kind where God is ruler in our lives, where we answer to him, where we live righteously, where the product of that relationship is sanctification. And at the, at the end of the day, what we have is eternal life. Praise God. So he now ends with this famous verse. For the wages of sin is death. So get the picture here. When he says wages, who gets wages? It's a servant that gets wages, right? It's an employee that gets wages. So this slavery is not talking about a slavery that doesn't get paid. You know, slaves don't get paid, right? Um, I mean, the bad kind of slaves. But think about it as an an employee, someone who is working for a company. What are you expected to get as a result of your work? It's wages, right? Payment. So he uses that analogy here. He says the wages of sin, the payment you deserve when you sin is death. Every time you are working for that master, which is sin, the end result, what you get paid is death whether it is now or long term. But in contrast to wages, what God gives you instead as a perfect master, instead of a small, meager wage, he gives you an abundant gift. But what kind of gift does he give you? He says the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. So what you receive from God is a gift. What you receive from sin is a wage and it brings death. So, this is this is the gospel. The gospel is that you have been liberated from sin, destruction, pain, anguish, and eternal damnation. But you've been brought into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God's dear son. But in that kingdom, you have a responsibility to live and walk for him. Let me leave you with this verse, and I think this will answer every question that might be you know still pending in your mind. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 15. And I will stop Bible study here. All right, verse 15. I also want to read this for me, if you can. Who can read this for me? Anyone? And please feel free. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me. All right, it's on the screen. Second Corinthians 5:15. Second
0: Corinthians 5:15. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. Amen.
1: mm -hmm. Does that answer any question that is lingering? Because Jesus' death, he says he died for all, so that those who live, who is the person that lives, us, should no longer live for themselves. So if you are a Christian and you are living for yourself, your ambition, your goals, you don't care about what God wants you to do. It's all about my life, my choices. I just want to have fun. I just want to do anything. You're not thinking about what does God really want out of my life? And guess what? God wants you to have fun. But he, he defines that. He's your creator. He wants the best for you. He knows how you would function to your utmost um, a- advantage. So he says he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one. That's Jesus Christ who died them and was raised. If someone died for you, if someone took your place at the courtroom and said, Hey, I know Florence is guilty. I know Victoria is guilty. I know Ruth is guilty, but I'm going to take their place. The judge should not hold you as guilty anymore. That person takes your place. That person takes your punishment. But what happens to you? Do you go out and go keep on doing that crime? No. You, you look at this person who took your place and say, Wow, thank you so much. Out of gratitude, what can I do? And he says, well, don't be caught doing that thing again. I'm taking your place. I'm taking your punishment. Now live like this. The least you can do as a believer is to live for the one who gave himself for you. That's it. Praise God. So that's it. That's it for today. I don't know if there's any question. Yes. Anyone. Go
0: ahead. Yes. So so it's not. I, I understand the whole thing, but it just that. That thing about slavery, you know, like when, when I think about slavery, I think about captivity, right? Like you are also forcefully doing something. But if Jesus said that, if if he said we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, I'm you are doing that because you love God, right? And not because, and also he said, choose to do this, day, whom was, I think who was that saying that? Was that Paul? Uh, no, who was that who was saying that? As for me, I'm a, I'm a household who will serve the Lord. So it's like, it's a choice that you have a choice to, but as a father, you're not enslaved to your father. It's just, you're obeying him now that you're... I'm kind of a little bit shaky with that. And I understand whatever you're saying. Also, I was just thinking yeah. about the Ten Commandments, how you, you know, I said typically we actually slave shop, yeah? but I don't want to put it that way because for the Ten Commandments, it's said like what you should do, 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 you know? And um, you're not doing that because you want to do that. We're just trying to wrap my head around the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I get those all, all of them that you're not doing it because you want to do them, but because you Christ want God wants that for yeah. us. But still, when you mention the slavery part, it's like yeah, I'm being,
1: um, yeah, I know, you know, it's just like, first. I, I feel you, um, trust me, I'm not saying this thing easily. Like, there's a lot of like, you know, like, oh wow, I'm saying this, and I'm saying it because I see it in the word, all right. And I'm gonna trust yeah. God's spirit within you to like put everything together for you. I'm not going to do that for you, right. But yeah, I want you definitely. to know that anything God says is good for us is good for us. That is that's exactly. the whole idea of trust all right um, mm. Paul's definition is, hey, if you belong to someone, you must live for them. That's the idea. So don't think about I know like I said, just because something has been misused doesn't mean it is wrong in itself, all right? It has always been in existence. In a sense, let me tell you something you may not understand too or you may not have heard, you know. But what are angels? Let me leave that question for you. But angels are literally the same Greek word, doulos, meaning they are servants of God's purposes. The only difference between angels and us, and it's a major difference, is that we have a relationship with him. It's different from them. They just bow down, they just worship, and they they are designed to do that for the rest of their lives we have a responsibility to respond and so we do it out of delight in Christ or we will do it out of a out of you know a responsibility because god, Jesus is lord like all knees will bow whether or not you believe in him that's the end result everyone will bow their knee to god so you 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 had rather be his child as well as his servant right so um, it's a, I, I want you to just stick with us, right? If you can, stick with us. We've come a long way. Most people that are not asking as many um, questions or maybe are not having as much of a conflict here probably have spent more time going on the journey with us All right, to, to get to this point. But whether it is terminologies or whatever, I think the main point is to understand the principle. The principle is we are children of God. That's a huge revelation that will never go, you know, be, be, um, beyond saying. We have to keep saying it. We are children of God. We belong to him. We have a relationship. We call him father. We say daddy, right? He's Abba. But we are also servants of a faithful master. You have to have that balance to be, you know, a full, in the full sense of what God wants a Christian to be. You must have that balance. Don't be too much of a son and forget your responsibilities, and don't be so much of a duties, dutiful servant and forget the relationship you have with God. Once you can marry those two together, I think you've got a, a good grasp of what God wants you to do in your life. So I hope that helps. Um, any other question? We'll round up. We've already gone beyond time. Um, I'll pray for us and we'll be out. Any other question? All right. Let's let's pray. Let me see if there's any announcement. Okay, let's pray, guys. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. Thank you for just helping us remember the work on the cross and what you've done in our lives, in our hearts. The baptism of the Spirit, bringing us into your family, making us your children. And then you've also given us a ministry, a responsibility that we must live not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, Lord, we ask for that strength to do all that you've called us to do to live our lives to please you, to live our lives to in in submission and total surrender to your work, to your plans and to your purposes, um, help us to be to think less of ourselves and more of others, less of ourselves and more of your plan, because that's where true fulfillment lies that's where true Joy is found. It's in service to others, in service to the will of God, that we find our true utmost joy. Help this to be our disposition in life. Help us to, to 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 marvel continuously at the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray for everyone here who has come with a heavy heart, that they live here with a joyful heart, that every pain is taken away, that every guilt is replaced, with confidence, boldness before the throne of grace. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.